0: And as you're turning there, we will prepare our hearts to read the scriptures together. I'm going to read out loud. You follow along. First Corinthians chapter 6, for friends of his in another city writes a letter to them. It's a letter that we know as First Corinthians. It's not the first time Paul has written a letter to his friends at Corinth, but it is the first one that we have in our copy of the New Testament. And again, he's a friend. He's, he's sending a loving email. And part of his words to his friends there in Corinth are these. All things are lawful for me, but not, not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food Your bodies are members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written back in Genesis 2, will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or or do you not know that your body is a temple? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. My sermon titled this morning is Gospel Sex. And now you can see why we kicked the elementary school kids out of here this morning. Father, would you please use your word by your Spirit, to show us what we need to see. May we be reformed in our thinking and in our practice. God, I pray that you would help me to communicate well this morning. I pray that my brothers and sisters would be eager listeners this morning. Spirit of God, please work in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, don't worry. This is not going to be explicit or graphic. Some of you are disappointed. Others of you are relieved. Don't worry. This is, this is, uh, but it is the kind of sermon where I'm going to say enough things that with little ears in the room, they may leave with a lot of questions that you may not be ready to answer after church here this morning. So that's why we, we kicked the, the little ones out this morning. The Bible begins, the story of God's world begins with the creation of a man and a woman and God brings them together in and, and the covenant that we know of as marriage. God makes Adam and God makes Eve. And in the book of Genesis it says this is why a man leaves his father and mother and a wife leaves his father and mother and the two come together together and are one flesh. And that that reference of knowing each other or coming together as one flesh, that's, that's referring to the sexual union. All through the Bible, there's this story of God and his people, of Christ and his bride. You get to the end of the book of revelation and there's a ceremony there's a celebration rather that's the word i'm looking for there's a celebration there there's this feast there's this marriage supper feast there's a big real eternal thing that god is doing it's the marriage of christ the messiah and his bride the church Pastor Matt mentioned earlier the one story that the Bible tells throughout. That's the story that the Bible tells throughout the Bible. And and God gives us, and I'm going to unpack this a little bit more in a few minutes, but God gives us an illustration of the big, beautiful, eternal marriage between Christ and his bride. God gives us an illustration of that it's human marriage and human sexual intimacy. See, sex was not invented by Hollywood. Surprise, I know, like, what? Really? Yeah, it wasn't. Sex was invented by God. This, this, is, maybe a, this is maybe the most uh, graphic I'm going to be this morning, and already people are like, I'm not going to look at him in the eyes when he's talking about that. I'm going to look away. It's okay. You can look away. You can look away. This morning, I didn't have to worry about like doing a lot of illustrations and that sort of thing. I thought, I think people are going to listen. You know, the the topic kind of lends itself to uh, what's he going to say about that. If you're a guest with us this morning, I I kind of apologize. I I mean, like this is I preach through books of the Bible. You came on today, so like you can be like, sweet, this is awesome. I'm going to come again. Um, Or if if you're inclined to think this is a little bit weird, we all feel it this morning. You're not the only one feeling it this morning. God could have created any number of ways for humans to reproduce, but he gave us this wonderful gift, a wonderful gift that isn't dirty. It's not taboo. It's not something that's to be never talked about or kept in secret. No, it's a glorious thing that he invented and gave to us He practically speaking, he gave it to us to make more of us, right? Image bearers who were to be fruitful and multiply and make more image bearers. Practically speaking, he gave it to us for enjoyment as well. Spiritually speaking, he he gave it to us to communicate and experience unity with one another. And spiritually speaking, he gave it to us to give us a taste of the ecstasy that perfect fellowship and intimacy with him will be like now for a handful of you maybe many of you in here you're like ah, i'm not so sure about that I- i'm going to i'm going to make that argument from the scripture this morning let me say this the best the best sexual experience on earth is a dim shadow of the joy and ecstasy you will know in fellowship with Jesus Christ. That's true, and that should thrill you. Here's my main point this morning. My main point is this. The only way to understand sex is to understand the gospel. The only way to understand sex is to understand the gospel, okay? Not by going and buying a book on it, not by watching television, uh, you know, media. That's, That's a horrible way. For you to learn about it. The only way for you to really understand sexual intimacy is to understand the gospel and to understand it well. There are, there are three truths that we're going to see here in this passage this morning, That three truths that inform our understanding of the beauty and the glory of sex and why purity is always the goal for the Christian. Purity is always the goal for a Christian. If you're not married, purity is the goal. If you're married, purity is the goal. If you no longer have a spouse, purity is the goal. If you're a teenager, purity is the goal. Purity is always the goal. There is such a thing as pure sex. The only way to understand sex is to understand the gospel. There are three truths in this passage. First of all, you need to know that you'll be resurrected with Christ. Secondly, you need to know that you are united to Christ. And thirdly, you need to understand that you've been bought by Christ. These truths give us a framework. These truths give us some guardrails. These truths help us understand what God wants us to understand about sex. Now, I, I literally could preach a series of sermons on just this topic but I'm preaching a series through the book of 1 Corinthians. And so this is going to be, I mean, you can look ahead in your Bibles. Next week, we're going to be talking about marriage, and there's going to be some things about sex involved in those passages as well. So it's not the last time we're going to mention it, but this is the most directly I'm going to uh, comment on this topic of, of biblically understood sex. First of all, point number one, if you're taking notes this morning, you will be resurrected like Christ. This is one of the gospel truths that you need to understand in order for you to think rightly about sex. Verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Let me, let me stop and back up here for a second. Paul's doing something unique here in verse 12 and 13. He's, he's quoting popular Corinthian slogans of the day. Many of your Bibles will have there in verse 12, there are quotation marks around, all things are lawful for me, right? And then Paul says, but not all things are helpful. And then again in your Bible, all things are lawful for me. There's quotation marks around that. And what scholars understand this to be is Paul's quoting things that the Corinthian church would have been very, very familiar with, the commercial slogans of their day. And in fact, even in verse 13, uh, you'll see quotations around food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Um... I, I believe the quotation should extend all the way through and God will destroy both one and the other. I, the study that I've done um, has led me to believe that, that that entire phrase is actually one of the Corinthian quotations. Um, not just those first food for the st- food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. I, I, I don't think it should stop after that second food. I think it should go all the way through and God will destroy both one and the other. Now, what's my, what's my point here in, in these passages? Verse 14, and God raised the Lord uh, and will also raise this up by his power. The Corinthians had adopted, the Corinthian believers had adopted a way of thinking like the culture around them. And, and one of the very popular ways of thinking about things of, the, of their day was to think of physical things as being bad and spiritual things as being good. And your body is kind of this, this thing that you're stuck with for now, and you kind of want to, the, the more uh, spiritual and metaphysical you can be in your thinking and in your living, um, uh, the, the better. And the less that you have to do with things like eating and drinking and sex, the better. And, and the, the Corinthian, even the Corinthian church, had begun to adopt some of these things. Things like sex, things done in the body, they were, they were considered kind of dirty and base and bad they were base instincts. And one of the ways to respond to it was just to think, well, well then, then who cares what you do in your body? The, the food was for the stomach and the stomach was for food. And why does it matter anyway? God will destroy them all anyway, right? Like our physical bodies, we're, we're stuck with your, your stomach needs food. So you eat your body needs sex. So you sex and there you go, right? Like these is just bad things that we're going to eventually do away with, and the less we can have to do with them, the better. Seems pretty straightforward. But here, Paul is saying something that's absolutely uh, confrontational to that way of thinking. He says this, your your body is not meant for sexual immorality. Your, Your body is for the Lord." And your Lord is for the body. And God raised the Lord and will raise us up as well. Now, now here, Paul, is, uh, is the first mention of sexual, sexual immorality in this passage. So let me just take a quick aside, even before I talk about resurrection, let me talk about uh, sexual immorality as it's mentioned right here in the Bible, in, in this passage. Here, and in lots of other places in the Bible... All forms of sex outside of heterosexual marriage is forbidden. Period. All forms of sex outside of heterosexual marriage is forbidden. Now, I, I, know, that, I know that bringing up this topic brings about a number of different responses in your hearts and minds in the room. And I, I want to be sensitive to that. I want to be wise in how I communicate what the Bible makes clear. Th- there may be some in here who hear that and think that's foolish, silly, antiquated, and repressive. Okay? And, and I, want, I want you to know that I get you. I, I understand that how you would have that perspective. If you are not a, especially if you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Christ then it would seem foolish, silly, antiquated, and repressive. I'm going to address those things. For some, the idea that just, just talking about sex, talking about sexual immorality, that sort of thing, th- there may be a lot of, of pain, fear. Uh, because of what you've experienced in your life. Maybe, maybe you've received or, or, or been the perpetrator of abusive sexual relations in the past. In a room this size, I'm 100% certain there are numbers of people. This is part of your story. And to even, just, to, to even broach the topic begins to bring about painful feelings. For some, to bring up this topic immediately brings about guilt Right. Because you're aware of your own past and 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 you think, well, you know, I mean, if that's it, Jeremy, you know, I'm I'm guilty. Um, And and I, you know, this is, you know, thanks a lot uh, for for the encouraging word on a Sunday. For others, maybe it's just it's just embarrassing to some of you because because you don't understand God's good intention for humanity. In his gift of sex. Brothers and sisters, like everything else good that God has done, we have figured out ways to break it, to stain it, to scar it, to mess it up. So let's, let's not, though, forget and ignore the fact that this is a wonderful, beautiful, precious gift that's been given to us by God. And you know this to be true. The, mo- the more valuable, the more precious, the more fragile, the, the greater care we give to something. Sex is something that our world has given no care to. It's become totally common and, 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 and uh, familiar, and it's on television, it's on your phone, it's on the street corners. So the Bible makes it clear throughout the Bible that sexual immorality of all so- forms is wrong. Yet, yet your body, your body, is not meant for sexual immorality. I'm back in the passage here again, into verse 13. Your body is not made for sexual immorality, it's, it's made for Christ. For those who know Christ as their Savior, you, you're saved, you've been rescued, you've been redeemed by God. Both your soul, we all agree, our souls are saved, but both your soul and your body. See, I think we as Christians often um, adopt a very similar way of thinking. Well, like the world's going to be judged by fire someday and my body's going to die and go into the ground. And so like none of this stuff, my body, these kinds of things don't really matter. Friends, I think we as Christians have fallen into the same trap of thinking that physical is bad and spiritual is good. Your body, all of you, has been, for those who know Christ, has been redeemed. And it is now for the Lord. Even now. And yes, you will receive a resurrected body someday that will not have the brokenness and the sin proclivity. I'm using Matt's word from Sunday school. The, the scars and the stains of life in this world will be gone from it, but it will be your body. Jesus was resurrected from the dead in his body. His body was resurrected from the dead. It wasn't a different body. It was a resurrected body. I'm confused. I don't understand all the, how this exactly works. Okay? One day I will. Ask me in a few hundred years. I have a feeling. I'll know by then. Okay? But like today, I don't know exactly how this works, but it is, it is, it's your body. It's a body that's perfected, that's going to eat, right? and it's going to hug, and it's going to high-five, and it's going to be a real body that you do real things with now and then and so your body matters now. The point that Paul's driving home is your body matters now. And unfortunately a lot of times we take passages like this and we make them about health food. Okay? Like you should probably be healthy, but that like Paul's not saying eat your carrots. That is not the point that Paul's making here. He's not saying don't eat donuts. He's he's making a much more important point. An eternal point. Your body matters now. You are are in this life. Um, Again, in verse, uh, let me find it, verse 13. Uh, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. The body is for the Lord. What does that mean? You ever heard songs like, we are his hands and his feet, you know, uh, uh, that's what this is getting at. Your body is for the Lord and for his use. You use your body here and now for the Lord and the Lord is for your body. People know him through the words and actions that you do in this world with your body. Your mouth speaks, your hands love, your feet go. Your body does the work of Christ in this world. And Christ is for your body. Christianity is not a spirit good, body bad religion. And again, though subject to brokenness and the curse of this world, your body is not intrinsically evil and meant to be got rid of will be raised from the dead, verse 14, and like Christ, we will have a fully functioning human body in the new heavens and new earth. We could preach a series on that as well. So, Paul is saying this, what you do with it matters. What you do with your body matters. No, n- Now and in eternity, your body isn't meant for sexual immorality. You, you know you know that, um, that I have uh, some nice knives, right? I've, I've talked about some of the gifts that people have given me before. I've got some very nice knives. And let's say that, let's say that um, I look in, in, my, uh, in my office on my desk there and one of my kni- I've got a knife that's like, a, I think the most expensive one that I own is $450. Okay, so I've got a really nice hunting knife, handmade custom deal, $450 knife. And I notice it's not there and I go in the backyard and, and, or outside the church here. And one of my kids is digging rocks out of the parking lot with that knife, right? I would say, whoa, whoa stop. It, that is not meant for that. That's a valuable thing, and it has a purpose, but it's not meant for that, okay? Don't take the illustration any farther than that. Your body is not meant for sexual immorality. Friends, sexual immorality is not what we were made for. What we do with our body matters, these are the bodies we'll have forever. So we aren't meant for sexual immorality, but we still haven't really answered the question yet. What? Like, yeah, but still, I got the question: Why? Why not? Wh- why is it wrong? I mean, come on, for reals, why is it wrong? If two consensual adults want to have sex with each other, they're not married, they're dating. They're playing the field. They're dating around. I want to have sex with whoever I want to. And as long as they want to have it back with me, male, female, it doesn't matter. We're not hurting anyone. Why does it matter? Point number two begins to answer this question very directly and very clearly. Number two, you are united to Christ. You're united to Christ. Let me look again in verse 15. Do you not know? Paul's reminding them. Right, maybe, maybe a little sarcastically, don't, don't you know this? Don't you know this about you? Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Okay, re- remember, we are referred to as Christ's body. Remember when Jesus says... Um, hey, when I was with you, you gave me water to drink and food to eat and da-da-da-da-da. And people said, well, when, I can't even remember the story. When did we do this? And he says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. Because brothers and sisters, we as Christians, are, we are Christ's body here on earth. And, and so, so you don't take Jesus and make him have sex with a prostitute shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? I I know this is, some of this is graphic and uncomfortable, but I mean, Paul's just being like graphic and uncomfortable. And and again, friends, remember, we might look at, we might read the story. uh, there's, there's, There's two different ways we can think wrongly about this. Number one, that our world is worse than Corinth, or that Corinth was worse than ours. And I don't, I think I think the humans who lived in Corinth were as wicked as we are today. If they would have had cell phones, they would have done all the wicked stuff that they were doing there, but you know, with their mobile devices as well. But we've talked about the city of Corinth and the pagan in, uh, shrines that were there, and a thousand prostitutes for the goddesses, that sort of thing. They lived in a place that was, that was horribly hypersexualized. We do too, but then we come to church and we kind of ha- act mousy about it. No, I, I feel, and again, we have to be, I'm not saying I'm going to start talking about sex every week and be graphic. What I am saying is it's ours. Like sex is ours. God, God made it. He made it for Christian marriage. It's ours. So we, we, get to, we get to define and explain and talk about it because God is the one who defines and explains and talks about it. Okay, that wasn't in my notes. Back to my notes. We have to understand the quotation that Paul uses here in verse 16. Paul quotes from Genesis chapter 2. And Paul says, don't you know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two become one flesh. This is Bible math. Okay, you ready for Bible math? One plus one equals? In Bible math, one plus one equals one. Okay, sorry. That was a way trickier question than I anticipated. i got four different answers. I'm only working with two digits here. Okay? Bible math. The two became one flesh. What is sex? It's saying, I am totally and completely yours. Body and soul. It's a total giving of yourself to another. There is no more vulnerable act the, n- the nakedness necessary demands total vulnerability i am willing to be completely naked with you and vulnerable i am willing to attach my body to yours in a way that is still mysterious to us i'm giving me entirely to you and you're giving you Entirely to me. But friends, to do this without the covenant of marriage will mess you up. To do this with someone who you aren't in a committed covenant actually leaves you insecure rather than more secure. So often, so often when people um, prior to marriage, become very sexually active. They're, they're seeking, right? They're, they want affirmation, they want approval, they want love, they want intimacy. And, and there can be, they can almost be fooled into thinking that they're getting it in those, in those experiences. But the, both the Bible tells us and the experiences of those that I've spoken with about this make it clear that, yeah, like, I left more thirsty than I came right? Like I, I was thirsty for something, I desired something, and I thought that this sexual experience would, would um, satisfy. And there were, in the moment, there was pleasure, right? God has made it pleasurable. But then afterwards, there's still the thing that I was searching for, the relationship, the intimacy, the, the commitment that I wanted in that experience, because there wasn't commitment, leaves me actually thirstier and less secure. To, To have sex with someone who can leave the next morning and never come back, to have sex with someone with whom you don't share everything, finances, commitments, children, to have sex with someone who can go and do it with someone else the next night and you don't have any say in the matter, this, this, this breaks the purpose of sex and marriage. It, it will feel good physically, and it will do harm physically and spiritually. The Bible says it, and your experience confirms it. In marriage, we say, when, uh, when, a, when a couple is, is quoting their uh, what do you call the um, vows? Back and forth to each other, right? One of the things we say is all, all that I am and have is whose? Is yours. We, we say that back and forth to each other. And God has given us a physical way to communicate that to each other. That's sex. And to have sex with someone with whom there is not the all that I am and have is yours is sinning against your own body. Marriage is a wonderful gift to humanity. Sex is a wonderful gift to married couple. Sex isn't a need. You don't need it to survive. You don't need it to glorify God. There are many who lived and do live without sex, and they aren't less capable of glorifying God with their lives. Singleness can be a high and holy calling. God has given this gift to those in the covenant of marriage as a way for them to physically experience what God says is true of them, that they are one. Now, drumroll, big point. All of this, everything I've talked about so far regarding marriage and sex, all of this is an illustration. Sex isn't the ultimate thing your marriage, which is real, and your sex, which is real, is not the ultimate thing. Marriage and sex are an illustration of something else. Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm I'm building toward the big... Answer as to why sexual immorality is wrong and why sex within marriage is glorious. And this is, this is kind of the key main point here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Well, there it is again. And the two shall become one flesh. Genesis chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, two shall become one, two shall become one, two shall become one. That's, that's referring, yes, to marriage, but very specifically to sexual intimacy. That's referring to sex. The two shall become one. And now, verse 32, this mystery is profound. This mystery of marriage and, and sex is profound. And I'm saying that it, marriage and sex, that it refers to something else. It's an illustration of something else. It's a shadow of something else. That it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage, sex within marriage, is an illustration of something else. It's a shadow of something else. It points to something more real. And if you get the illustration wrong, you won't understand the reality. And so, Jesus is arguing, Paul, rather, is arguing to the Corinthians. He's saying, listen, there's a reason why sexual immorality is wrong. The reason that sexual immorality is wrong is it because it distorts the illustration. There's something else that's more real that informs the, the illustration and the shadow. Marriage and sex illustrate Christ and his church. That picture of marital intimacy does give us some understanding of our relationship with Christ. The glorious, joyful, rapturous, intense pleasure, the joy, the intimacy, the knowing and being known, the vulnerability, the nothing between you and your spouse that you experience in sex, that is a shadow of the good and the intimacy that's coming between you and God. And we can experience whips and shadows of it now. But when we live with him in the new heavens and new earth, there is some way of, uh, of, our, uh, of our experience and intimacy and vulnerability, and uh, intimacy is the right word, that we will experience with God that is illustrated for us in the human act of sex. I'm very appreciative that Paul uses the word Mystery. Because I don't fully understand what that means or how that can be. That is deeply and profoundly encouraging. I've said this morning that to understand sex, you must understand the gospel. I didn't, I didn't say that to enjoy sex, you must understand the gospel. There are plenty of people who don't understand the gospel and physically enjoy sex. But I am saying this, that to understand sex, you have to first understand the gospel and the better you understand the gospel the better you'll understand sex since sex is a gift within marriage and that whole package is illustrative of christ and his church and god is saying don't don't have sex outside of marriage it breaks the illustration christ is fully committed to his bride He has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. This passage is making it clear. We, you individually, we collectively, we're the body of Christ. Don't take my body and attach it to a prostitute. Don't bring a prostitute into bed with you and your spouse. What a horrible visual image. Paul's the one giving us the visual picture here. I didn't make it up. Paul's the one who's saying, don't do this. Don't bring a prostitute into this relationship have sex outside of marriage is like bringing a prostitute to bed with your wife there. And Paul says strongly at the end of verse 15, never, and there's an exclamation point in there, the Greek word underneath that word never is like a over my dead body kind of Greek comment there. It's strongly stated, don't do this, never, never, never bring that lie into the relationship. It's horribly harmful. Sex outside of marriage works to reverse into your life what it was supposed to have done. What should declare that we are one isn't true for those who aren't married. Sex outside of marriage is a lie. Sex within the covenant of marriage is a glorious declaration of truth. Now, I realize I am... To communicate these things is completely countercultural. And it was 2,000 years ago, approximately, when Paul wrote this to the Corinthian believers. This is, though, the Christian sexual ethic because of what sex is an illustration of. You, do you understand why you need to understand the gospel in order to understand sex properly and accurately? Number three. Thirdly, you've been bought by Christ. You've been bought by Christ. Verse 18, flee, escape, run, run away from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? This is the verse that's used for eat your carrots whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. In, in this final section of our passage, we see how the gospel helps us understand sex, I think most clearly. First, notice the clear command to flee, to run away. Escape, run. Remember the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife, right? Right? Potiphar very likely was a eunuch, incapable of sexual relations with his wife. Here's Joseph, this handsome young man, and Potiphar's wife is a normal woman, and she's got this handsome young man in her house, and her husband can't do anything for her, and so she's like, "Come on, big boy," and like no one would have known. And Paul, uh, 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 Joseph, like she grabs him, and he he like slings out of his coat and takes off. You ever wondered what you might have done in those same circumstances? I'm terrified to know. Circumstances. Joseph understood what it meant to flee, to run, to escape, not stick around and see how this might play out. I want to address several groups. I want to talk to everyone in general. Then I'm going to talk to parents, and then I'm going to talk to people who are dating, and then to teens. Just briefly, each of you, uh, specifically about fleeing, fleeing uh, fornication. It's, fornication is just a big, broad term for sexual immorality. Flee from fornication. Again, you might think, Jeremy, you're so mean, you're a fuddy-duddy, you're old-fashioned, you're a Puritan, that sort of thing. Like, the Bible says it in clear, no uncertainty as to what this might mean. Like, we're not going to come up with different interpretations. You're not going to come up, you, you can disobey, we can disobey, or we can read what God's Word says and seek to obey it. Flee, flee from fornication. Unfortunately, brothers and sisters, we don't often flee. Often we set ourselves up. We invite it in. We go looking for it. And in many ways, it is easier than ever. It is easier than ever with, with the technology that we have. In, in my back pocket right now, I have access to everything in the world. So to everyone in here, I want to say this. God says to flee from sexual sin. So don't invite it in. Your movies, your songs, your social media, the books you read, don't invite it in. Romans chapter 13, verse 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Do you know what it means to make no provision for the flesh? That means if there's a way for me to feed my flesh in the wrong way, that I don't go to the flesh buffet. I run away from the flesh buffet. I, I make no provision. I don't provide for myself to sin in that way. If I struggle with alcoholism, I don't provide for my flesh by going to the bars on Friday and Saturday night. Make no provision for the flesh. If I know that I struggle with looking at bad things on the internet, I don't get on the computer late at night by myself. Don't make provision for your flesh. Run from sexual temptation. Make it really hard for you to sin. You can sin with another person you can send online, you can send with magazines and romance novels or just your imagination. So friends, run away, throw things away, burn things, delete things, get accountability, flee, run. And for some in here, there may need to be some repentance before God and repentance before others. But the beautiful thing about repentance is repentance brings forgiveness. Repentance brings cleansing. Repentance brings the favorable hand of God back into your life. Repent and believe the good news of the gospel. Look, none of us are going to live sexually pure the rest of our lives. None of us, no one in here is going to. There was only one who did. There was one who did. Jesus lived sexually pure for 33 years and he did it, you know what I'm going to say next, the next two words, for you. Because you didn't. I'm getting ahead of myself in my notes here, okay? Everyone, flee fornication. Parents, let me encourage you in relationship with your kids, make no provision for the flesh for your kids. Regardless of your past, I know many of you engaged in sex outside of marriage, and it's so culturally acceptable that we just acknowledge with our kids, we, yeah, it's wrong, so try not to. And we shrink back from declaring to the next generation that it's wrong and why it's wrong and why the good is so good. That's what makes the bad so bad. We fail to protect the next generation from sinning in this way. I want to be a pastor. I want us to be a church. I want you to be parents who are willing to have hundreds of conversations with your kids through the course of their time in your home where you declare to them the glorious intention of God's gift of sex and warn them against the abuse and misuse of it. Teach them how wonderful sex is. Talk with them about it openly and often. Parents, you are primarily responsible for your child's obedience in this area while they're in your home. You are responsible for where they go. You are responsible for whom they're with. You are responsible for when they get home. You are responsible for their phones. You are responsible for their televisions. You can't be God, but you can be the parent that God has called you to be. Let's not get our cue from the rest of the world around us. Just because every other family does X, Y, and Z does not mean that yours should. In fact, it probably means yours shouldn't. You can't leave your child and another child of the opposite sex at home alone. You say, man, you turned fundamentalist like in one sermon. Do not you, rem- you have no recollection of what it was like to be a 15-year-old, 17-year-old boy? It was a long time ago for me, but I, there was like two things I thought of. Eating was one, and there was one other thing. And those were the things I thought about. And I don't know that I would have done what Joseph did in his leaving his coat and running. Parents... God called you, God put your kids in your home so that you would parent them. Parent them. You've got to take God's instruction to make no provision for the flesh seriously. Your kids have flesh and it's just as strong, if not stronger, than yours was at that age. Don't forget. Don't forget. For those who are dating in here, I'm not even sure if we have many or any. I want to encourage you to have sex after you're married. Don't put yourself in a place where you make it easy. Don't make provision for the flesh. By having sex outside of marriage, you're also doing this. You're declaring to your future spouse that you are willing to disobey God sexually. And if you're willing to disobey God sexually before marriage, you're letting that spouse know, I'm willing to disobey God. I'm willing to disobey God sexually. And after marriage, it's very... I've already proven that I'm willing to disobey God sexually. And so, yeah, we're married, but I have this opportunity at work and no one's going to know about it. And What harm is it going to do? I think you communicate a lot to your spouse. And teens, I know it sounds like I'm being mean about sex. I want you to know that sex is wonderful. There's a lot I'd love to tell you about it, but you're too young and you're not my kid. Sex is clean. Sex is glorious. Sex was invented by God. I think he kind of smiled and smirked when he told Adam and Eve, all right, go be fruitful and multiply, right? He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was giving them. God not only gives us the gift, but he gives us instructions for how to use the gift. And so let's use his instructions with the gift that he's given because we'll mess it up. You ever get a cool gift and you're like, I don't need to read the instructions, right? And then you mess up the gift. I've never done that, but I've heard of other men doing that. You, you have been, why? Why? Here's the main why. Why? Why not? Why not have sex with whoever I want to have sex with as long as they want to have sex with me? Here's the main why not. And it's also the main why you would have sex in marriage. Verse, uh, the end of verse 19 and verse 20. You, you are not your own you aren't yours. It, it's, it's one of the hardest things even for Christians to get through their minds, to get through their skulls. You aren't yours. Well, well, of course I am. I am. I am. I mean, that's our self-declaration, right? I am. I'm me. I'm in charge of me. But for the Christian, there's this, there's this understanding that, no, no, you're not yours anymore. You've been bought with a price. The price is the infinitely valuable blood of the Son of God, the Messiah. You were bought with a price. In my Bible, I have uh, in verse 20, for you were bought with a price, underlined in the words, gospel motivation, written right there. Because when I read this passage and it talks about don't have sex, don't have sex, you know, don't have, sleep with prostitutes, that sort of thing. I want to always remember the the reason. The reason I've I'm told don't is because there is this incredibly, infinitely valuable nature change that has happened within me by the gracious gift of God. There is glorious gospel motivation for incredibly beautiful, wonderful sex within marriage. The gospel, the the intimacy of Christ and His bride given as an illustration, sex being the illustration of that in our marriages. This is, this is why we don't have sex outside of marriage and why we do have sex within marriage. So glorify God in your body. Have you read through the Song of Solomon before? You ever been reading through the Bible with your kids and you're like, we're just going to skip that book for now, right? Maybe when you're 30, you'll be old enough to read it. If we put the Song of Solomon into a movie, none of us could go watch it, right? It's like not okay. God's not blushing, He's not bashful about the glorious gift He's given, the glorious, beautiful thing that He has given for us to experience together in the, in the, in the uh, relationship of marriage. So, brothers and sisters, as you leave here this morning, regardless of your past, regardless of your past, everybody in here has got sin in their past. They're like no, Nobody's walking out of here kind of beating their chest thinking, well, I escaped. Sexual sin, this far, thus far in my life. Nobody, nobody in this room. Know that regardless of your past, there is cleansing and forgiveness. Some of you might think, "Ah, you know, what I never like, like it's in my past, and I think about it sometimes, and I feel badly about it. Have you ever just gone to God and said, God, forgive me. I sinned. I, I don't want my kids to sin in this way. I, but. I'm coming to you for cleansing and renewal. God, forgive me. I'm, apart from your conversion to Christ, I just mean he is faithful and just to forgive those. Uh, uh, um, God is faithful. How does it go? Yeah, and cleanses from all unrighteousness. Yeah, you want cleansing? Yeah, I, I, I do. If, if this topic brings about um, fearful, painful Thoughts of abuse and things like that in your in your past and in your history. Um, Several things I think about. I think first of all, just to remember that this we live in a broken world. This was not God's intent. If, If you were sinned against, it's called sin, and it's horrible. And those things need to be those things need to be dealt with. And if you need counseling, if you need like I'm I'm happy to either talk with you or point you in the right direction for counseling. That's that's not something that very many people are able to just like, ah, that happened in the past, but I, it has no effect on me now today. It, if, if, that, if that's something in your heart and in your mind from your past, I would encourage you to, to get help, to get counsel, to get some help on that. If you've thought of it as kind of this dirty thing that we have to suffer through here on earth, um, you know, on a ca- <laughs> um, I have all kind of funny stories that I won't tell um, uh, on, on this note. Um, But if if you're inclined to think, uh, you know, like uh, this is not a. Some of us grew up in uh, Christian cultures that meant well, but only talked about the sinful. Don't do it. it, Don't do it because you'll get sexually transmitted diseases or you'll get pregnant. And those are the those are the reasons given in the Christian circles not to do it. Those aren't the Christian reasons not to have sex. Those aren't the Christian reasons not to have sex outside of marriage. The Christian reason is because it breaks the illustration. It breaks the intended purpose. It goes against the reason God gave the gift. It's not the instructions that God gave along with the gift. I want to call us as Christian people to see clearly the beauty of the illustration because we see clearly the beauty of what it illustrates. You want to grow in your understanding of sex? Then turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. The more you understand the gospel, the more you grow in your understanding of the gospel, the more more you'll grow in your understanding of sex. Sex is good. God invented it. Let's glorify him with our bodies. Bow your heads and I'll invite the instruments, uh, the, the music team to come and we'll sing together to conclude here this morning. I don't know how to give it an invitation or, a, you know, a, a call to response exactly on this. If if you need to repent, repent, if you need. Um, to find security in your sexual relationship with your spouse, meditate on the gospel. If you have scars and pain from the past, seek out help in Christ first and foremost, but in a trusted counselor or pastor I think one of the main things we need to do, though, is to understand, again, clearly how sex is an illustration of the gospel um, and how we need to understand the gospel more clearly in order to understand sex better. Father, I have fumbled my way through this passage this morning, but your word is what is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Your spirit can take these words in, uh, from your word And use them to uh, encourage, to convict, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Father, I pray that your word would have that effect on all of us together this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and we'll sing together and then Pastor Will will come for a couple final announcements.
1: Amazing. that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears was How precious did that grace appear? Here I first believed the Lord has promised. word my hope to he will my shield and portion be as long as life and yours when we even there ten thousand years bright sing God's praise than when we first
2: begun. You can be seated for a second here. Before we close, we've got a uh, a couple of things to do. Saul, if you would come up here. No, you stay down there. This is Saul. He would like to come and join Liberty today. Here at Liberty, we practice church membership. It is a way of accountability in the church and accountability that is in the Bible where You are accountable to each other. The church is accountable to you. And I would say that someone who has come to know Christ and is being sanctified would desire this accountability in their life. Saul has come to join this morning. We've heard his, his testimony, and we recommend him for membership. So if you're a member today, would you please confirm Saul by saying amen and opposed by like sign? Yeah. Oh uh, sorry. Well, I mean oh, you've bulked up too much lately. I don't wanna Okay, now go sit down. Hey man. If uh if if Debbie and or if um if the Moors would come at this time I'm sorry, Jim. David and Vicky. How did I even do that? Debbie and Vicky Becky. I, I don't even know how I did that. Okay, so should we do this separately? Because we might get two different results. Here. <laughs> okay. David and Vicki have expressed their desire to join as well, and we're very excited about that, um, mainly because we need Vicki, and we'll take David. Church, if you would confirm them also with an Amen and opposed by like signs. We are excited about this. Um, We've gotten stronger. We're excited to have y'all here. We needed somebody to balance that out. If if y'all would, please, all three of you, go to the back and let people give you a hard time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you're doing here. I ask that you would continue to do your work. I ask that we would obey your word you would guide us. In Christ's name,
3: Amen.